Welcome to the Texas Wine Lover Podcast. This is episode number 25, where Jeff talks to Tim Drake from Flat Creek Estate. This episode is part two of the two-part podcast with Tim Drake. If you did not get to listen to part one, you can find it on the Texas Wine Lover website at txwinelover.com slash 024. Okay, so we took a little break there and we had some dinner. And oh my God, what a phenomenal dinner! So you definitely <laughs> well, need to come out. To, oh yeah, you got you got to come out to Flat Creek Estate sometime and have some uh, dinner on a Saturday night at least with the bistro. Phenomenal. So we're back in the barrel room now. So uh, Tim, what's what's your favorite style of wine? That's a very good question. Um, <laughs> it depends. Um, so I typically, if, if we're say talking red wines, um, I prefer, uh, uh, wines that are more old world or, or really, I guess, kind of restrained West coast in style where it has some fruit, but it, it's got tannins. Um, it's not overly jammy, not overly oaky. Um, although I guess, uh, I do use a fair amount of, of oak on, on the wines I make. Um, I don't want to be dominated by oak flavors. I'm not, I'm not trying to make Napa cult cabs. Um, and, and, uh, I'm definitely a dry wine person. If I go for, uh, on whites, I want it to be dry. I want some citrus in there, maybe minerality, good acid to it. Um, but above all, uh, I need balance in the wine. I don't want, and especially with the wines I make, um, I don't want sharp edges. I don't, I don't want something in particular. I don't want you to say, wow, that just tastes like blackberries or ooh, those, it's a very tannic wine or anything. I want it to have something that hits on, on all cylinders. Um, my personal belief is that a bottle of wine is a single size serving. And so, uh, as you work your way through the bottle, I want it to taste something new with every, every glass that you have. I, I want to constantly be evolving. And so I don't make, uh, I don't make wines that are overly fruity or overly, um, old world and, and, uh, earthy. Um, they usually have components of everything involved in them. Okay, great. So, so what's your favorite grape to work with? Actually, my favorite grape to work with is Syrah. I love a Syrah. If I had one grape in the world to be left with to make, it'd be Syrah. Uh, it's such a, a interesting variety. Um, you can, and especially here in Texas, it's, it's really interesting because we really have a, a hot climate, you know, unsurprising there. Um, but you can actually get with the way, um, our degree days uh, progress over the season. You can get a really cool climate flavors. Um, you can get this this meaty, bacony smokiness out of there. You can get some herbalness, um, depending where it's grown and, and how it, and how it's trellised and everything. Um, you can get big, jammy Australian kind of flavors. Um, after that, uh, it, Texas is really a um, I'm a big fan of blends. So even if I have a favorite grape, most of the wines that I do make, um, even if they're single varietal, 
labeled, they'll have a little bit of something else blended in there because it's, uh, I, I think we're much more of, uh, an Italian style. And, and you see that, that we're predominantly Italian varietals here at Flat Creek. Um, you need to go ahead and blend stuff in there. You know, we, we don't have the kind of climate where you can really make a truly successful pure cab. Like say you can get out of California. Um, you need to blend a little something in there. Uh, and, and so it, it really is something that's fun for me as a winemaker and as a wine geek and tinkerer and whatnot to go ahead and be able to play with. And especially because we're in America and we're not in France or, or Italy where everything's controlled by the government, I can put together things that shouldn't necessarily go together. So like I'm the super Texan, it's Sangiovese and maybe they'll have Montepulciano and a little cab. Maybe there's some Tempranillo and Petite Syrah thrown in there too. And uh, it, it makes it fun that I don't have any rules that I have to actually follow. So, so opposite, opposite of the favorite grape to work with, what's your worst <laughs> grape to work with? Um, well, actually the least favorite grape I have to work with, and uh, we have a fair amount of it planted, and it's fairly popular across the state, is, is, is I'm just not necessarily a Muscat fan. Um, I don't like uh, really a sweet wine. I have a tough time with that unless I'm making something like an ice wine or a port style, uh, something that lends itself there. But however, the grape that gives me the most difficulty is Viognier, which we do really well in the state. But I, I've only, um, there's only been a couple times in the, let's see, 16 years I've been doing this now that I've stuck a fermentation where it, it stops short of going all the way dry. And it was a couple times up in Washington, is with Viognier. And I did twice down here in Texas, and it was with Viognier. That damn grape, I, I love it, and I hate it. And <laughs> but it's the one I worry about every single year. <laughs> well, we tasted one earlier, though. It was fantastic. Though, yeah, so. and it was a very good year this year. Did not stick a single thing. <laughs> so out of the favorite grape and the worst grape, what grape would you like to work with? Um, I really like uh and i think is a grape that is underplanted in texas but i think is one that is uh we've just planted uh, a bunch of acreage over at hoover valley is alianico and alianico is um it's to me it's a, a an italian version of a cab it's got a lot of structure to it um but it's a little more rustic. It's got a little spiciness to it. It's got a little bitterness to it, like most Italian varietals and uh, Italian wines. Um, I think Alianico is uh, a grape that I cannot wait two more years until we actually start getting the harvest off that. And, and uh, I get to work with that. I think that's going to be a stellar grape for us. Yeah, I agree with that. That's yeah. We we had some uh, last night that was phenomenal. So Who was it that you had? I know it was uh, a Dukeman family yeah. winery. Yeah, yeah, they had some, does some nice ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, for dinner we had the, uh, I think one of the perfect pairings, which was a 2012 Flat Creek Tempranillo mm-hmm. that was with the quail. Yeah, with the quail. And yeah. there's not too many times I actually get a wine that pairs with a food that just like mm-hmm. they perfectly complement each other, and that one did. And yeah, 
It, so it does go really well. And that's one of the nice things that uh, one of the bonuses I have here is I have a chef that I get to work with. And when I actually uh, put together the blends and everything, I'll start like, for instance, say the super Texan. Um, I may have 40 versions of it that work out on a spreadsheet. And then I start putting them together and it'll take me three, four weeks working through them. Very tough job tasting through dozens of blends every day. And when I finally whittle it down to three or four versions that I think are all equally good, I'll then go ahead, take those and I'll go up to the kitchen. And I'm like, all right, let's do some duck confit and let's have some pork belly and let's have, uh, you know, maybe some lamb chops and, and then we'll sit there and we'll eat a bunch of food and we'll taste it with the wine. And the, the number one goal we have is here because we have a restaurant and we're a winery is to, to make sure everything goes together. And wine is, is really the slowest cooked food in the world. You know, it, it's part making chocolate, you know, incorporating that little bit of air and dealing with the structure and, and building mouthfeel. And it, it takes two or three years to develop the flavors in there. And you're, you know, really that, that, um, the evaporation that happens through the barrels is like simmering a sauce for a long time. So it's always fun when we get to come down into the barrel room and taste wines that aren't ready you know, from different vintages and everything, because you can see how they change over the course of time. And the the fun part for me is to go ahead and take something that's really this really sweet fruit, you know, it just tastes good to kids of all ages and birds and deer and everything, um, and, and figure out what it's going to be three, four years from now. And, and so uh, it's a uh, it's a it's a long, slow kind of involved process, but yet something that's that's just inherently fun to do and also inherently different every year. Uh, before I got into wine, I probably did not hold the same job for more than two years at best just because I'd get bored with it and I'd find something else to do. And I have yet to ever think, ah, I'm so bored with making wine. <laughs> if I ever do, I just go down and have a glass and then I feel better afterwards. But <laughs> Well, that sounds great because, I, yeah, I don't see how it could be bored either. <laughs> no. But, but speaking about the Tempranillo at dinner, I mean, mm-hmm. I, we're sitting yeah. in the barrel room now and I see a barrel over here that says Tempranillo on it. So. Yeah. Um, actually, it'd be. I think what we should do, let's taste through uh, some, a couple of different Tempranillos. Um, I know Gloria is one of your favorites, so... We have a, a fairly unique uh, ability just because I do source from throughout the state because our, our mother nature is so fickle in Texas. Rarely do we have a good year across the whole state. It's either good in the high plains or it's good in the hill country or it's good somewhere else or although sometimes it's just bad across the state, but <laughs> like 13. <laughs> but, uh, especially with the Tempranillo, I have some uh, Tempranillo here in Barrel that comes from very different parts of the states, especially for uh, 2014 and parts of 2013. We had a fairly good year for, for red grapes, and so we can taste some uh, the difference between the high plains and down in the hill country. I have some Keeper Soul, uh, East Texas, basically, Tempranillo, and they all taste extremely different. 
All right, so um, we're going to taste through a couple of different Tempranillo barrels. Uh, this is going to be kind of fun because I have not opened a Tempranillo barrel in about uh, six months. Ooh. Um, I don't I don't taste through them all that often. I try to le let them just sleep here in the barrel room all by themselves. Uh, so hopefully I'm not serving vinegar anywhere. <laughs> um, all right, so this first one we're going to taste, this is uh, Tempranillo off the estate. So this is uh, an example of what a, a hill country Tempranillo tastes like. Okay. Yeah, I got to work on this one. Oh, pull that bug. <laughs> this is one of those we talked about um, doing very little uh, topping and just kind of letting a barrel hard bung it and let it just sit and be. This is one of those that, uh, yeah, it's oh, it smells good just coming out of the barrel. So how many acres of uh, vines do you have here? We have roughly about 20 acres of vines planted. Um, Tempranillo, I have roughly... Oh, about a third of an acre. Um, okay. It's very little. It's predominantly goes into our port program because it's a traditional port grape. Um, but uh, I definitely keep one barrel a year that goes into our Four Horsemen blend, um, which is an unconventional blend that's done with four varieties off the estate. Uh, we have on red wines, we have, uh, let's see, we have Tinta Madeira, we have Syrah, Sangiovese, Montepulciano, uh, Brunello clone of Sangiovese. I have, uh, I just planted a, an entire new acre of Tariga Nacional because I think that's a wonderful grape and uh, a little bit of Tempranillo. So, sounds All right, good. So, this one here, this is, this is 2014. Uh, and this is the single barrel of Tempranillo that I have. So this is going in, it's, right? The color is amazing. 2014 was just a wonderful year. Um, I feel kind of all around. It was, it wasn't extremely dry. It wasn't the drought years like 12 and 13 were. Uh, we did get some rain in there. We got some rain kind of late, right before, uh, Verasion or right after Verasion that slowed, uh, uh, ripening down, so we picked about three, four weeks later than we normally do. Um, and as we can see in this one here, as, as I and you and I can see, not so much the people listening, um, this one here, really inky dark. It's got uh, some nice little blue tones in there still. Um, it's still very young in, in aromas. They're really kind of clean primary fruit. You get like clean blueberries and blackberries, uh, almost like a bramble blackberry leaf flavor in there. Um, this barrel has, uh, and with all the 2014s, none of them have been racked. They're all surly. They're all aging on their leaves. Um, we've only topped them once or twice. Uh, at this point, I've yet to add any SO2 to them, uh, just so that the flavors can kind of develop and we can play with the tannins and the mouthfeel. Uh, once you start adding SO2, you kind of halt all, all that process. So, um, which is definitely a non-traditional way to go ahead and do it. It's not what they teach you at UC Davis, not that I've been there, uh, but I know plenty of people who have. Um, and, and 
but uh, I like the, the, so the thing to notice on this one is uh, kind of the softness of it. You know, there's a little bit of tannin structure in there, but soft, you got very fruit flavors. Um, uh, there's a little bit of that kind of jammy and black fruits and forest fruits kind of thing going on with it. Yeah, yeah I'm not, I don't get many tannins at all on that one. No, so just, just a little bit right on the edges. Um, so then we go over to, uh, let's, let's go to, for High Plains Tempranillo. This here is uh, from Lost Raw Vineyards. Yeah, it didn't make any sound. I tried this one earlier. Uh, <laughs> this here, so typically Lost Draw, Andy Timmons is one of the best growers, I think, in the state. He's, he's really fabulous. And his temper neo in particular is, uh, if, if I was to stop doing temper neo, I would still continue to buy temper neo from Andy Timmons. It's just unbelievable. It's always, I know every year when we bring it in, it's going to be uh, our reserve wine or a single vineyard wine. Um, so, so this here, Bring a glass, Rick. There you go. So, this here is uh, actually out of a barrel. So, unfortunately, uh, that first one is just a neutral barrel that we had. This one here is actually, I picked this barrel uh, specifically to go into our Temper Neo program. This is the barrel that they, they use to do Penfold's Grange. And it's, it's interesting because it's American oak, but one of the most expensive American oak barrels you can get because they harvest, they, they cut down the trees and, and form them into staves in Pennsylvania. Then they ship them over to Australia where they're aged at, in Australia. They age for about three years outside and then they're coopered into barrels in Australia and then they're shipped back here all the way to us. So it, it <laughs> turns out to be a very, very uh, expensive barrel just to shipping costs. But the difference in flavor from its seasoning in Australia versus seasoning in Pennsylvania is amazingly uh, different. I've tried these barrels where they haven't spent time, where the staves haven't spent time in Australia. Not nearly as nice. Um, it's a high impact barrel. It, uh, it takes years for the barrel to, uh, you definitely need a three or four years in barrel for the barrel to not be dominant. And that's one thing that, that I always find interesting is, is a lot of people don't understand that if you have a wine that's getting dominated by the barrel and you're like, oh, there's too much oak. The solution isn't to take it out of the oak. The solution is to leave it in the oak for longer and it'll eventually incorporate itself in and it'll find a balance. Sometimes you just have to wait several years. <laughs> well, I've got no problem with tasting this one. So. Yeah, 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 this one's not bad. Uh, this is definitely a, a fan favorite kind of barrel. So, but what you get here from the High Plains, you get, um, you move away from the, the blackberry and blueberry flavors, and you go more towards red fruits. You get uh, structure in there. You get a minerality. You get a really, and by minerality, I mean kind of a liveliness in the palate. You can feel this energy 
in the back of your palate as it goes down your throat. Um, and that's what I think of as minerality, not that it tastes like rock. And that's one thing I love about High Plains Tempranillo is that minerality that's in there, that liveliness and stuff. And so this is a wine that right now is still very young. You get a lot more tannin to it, a lot more structure. It's going to need, it's going to need time in the barrel. It's going to need time in the bottle. And it, it's, um, much more of a thinking wine than, than the Tempranillos that come out of the hill country. Hill countries are, are visceral feeling wines. And the, I feel the high plains fruit is more thinking wines. It's more cerebral. Interesting. Yeah. I can sit and think about this for a while. <laughs> this isn't bad. <laughs> this will no be either. okay. <laughs> the, the saddest part is I only have two barrels of it. Mm. I got one barrels of the hill country, two of this. Uh, but the next one we, we taste will be the, the, the main, uh, 2013 or 2014, uh, no, 2013 that we do. And we have a fair amount, uh, from Keeper Salt before they had the brilliant idea to go ahead and distill all their extra fruit and make some wonderful vodka and stuff. They're doing a bang up job, uh, of making some spirits over there. All right. Um, well, let's try so. some Keeper Salt Tempranillo. Yep. Let's go to Keeper Salt. So again, I think uh, with Tempranillo, and we see this across all of them, um, one of the things that, uh, why I think people talk about how much Tempranillo is a, a grape for Texas, and it's mostly, uh, you develop really nice color, and you can see this in here too, it's very dense. This one here, you definitely get that barrel influence. You get almost, almost like candied coconut in there. This is, this needs, needs time. It doesn't have the same amount of structure that the lost draw Tempranillo had. So you get more of that oak influence in there. Um, it's going to take a little more time for that to all integrate. But if you, uh, but again, this one, it's only about 20% are in the new barrels and then the rest are in neutral barrels. And so you get to the neutral barrels, they don't have all that, that almost really, really sweet coconut in there. So by uh, blending it together, it'll go ahead and everything will incorporate nicely. But again, this has another year or so that's going to hang out in barrels. So That's kind of interesting. Flat Creek, Keepersall. So I've heard there's actually, you've worked with quite a few wineries around the area. Can you tell us anything about that? Um, I, I have. You know, one of the, the neat things about being able to work with other wineries is, is that you can go ahead and, and do different things. And as the, the winemaker at Flat Creek, I know that I have a focus and a vision for what I want the wines to be. Uh, it doesn't mean that I don't have other ideas or other things I want to do. So there's a couple places I consult for. And we're able to go ahead and try different things, different techniques. I never approach the same thing twice. A couple of the custom crush clients that we have, we don't use the same barrels. I absolutely make sure we have different cooperages and different grape sources and stuff like that. Kind of some of the fun stuff to do with it is that this industry as a whole, we're not really competitive. We're more supportive. You can take grapes or a wine or juice or whatever and start from the very beginning and give it to, to three different winemakers. So, so like that stash project we did, for instance, we took the juice 
and it was pressed out and then it went to three different winemakers. And when it came back, each wine was so incredibly different. And so we're not really in competition with each other. So you'll have all the time, I'll get calls from people or maybe I'll call somebody and ask their advice or they call me because they're having an issue. And so we talk a lot of times about what we're doing and we go and we taste with each other. And, and one of the nice things about usually when winemakers get together, you know that you're in there to taste and actually not just stroke each other's egos, but to actually point out things that you think they could do better. You know, we're, we all want to see each other succeed because, uh, as Robert Mondavi once said, a rising tide floats all ships. And it's completely true for wines. If any of us succeed in a competition or makes a great wine, it only helps everybody else do better. And the same thing, though, one rotten apple. You know, if you come across a wine that's from a Texas winery and you don't like it, you judge all Texas wineries from it. You know, if you're new to the industry and and tasting it. So it's a neat collaborative environment. And we're, we're all very close, very supportive. We talk about our wine family a lot, uh, especially I, I know Spring and I, we talk about our wine family on, on Facebook and stuff all the time. And it truly is a family. I know this year, uh, Benjamin Clay was have when he was building his place, he had flooding issues and stuff and they had complete wineries would shut down, take their whole staff out there to help him out and sandbag it and, and to help him out so that he could succeed and do what it is he wants to do. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about this industry. You know, it's, it's not always, uh, rainbows and rosé, but, uh, sometimes it is. <laughs> I, I don't know if that wandered off completely off a topic of the question, but, uh, you know, it's, it is what it is. When we first started visiting wineries, I mean, we were mm-hmm. actually surprised that this winery that was a mile down the road from the other wasn't really competing with the other. They, mm-hmm. You know, if they had problems, they would actually, hey, loan loan my equipment. And yeah. they would actually help, bring, you know, Bring whatever. your stuff over here. We'll take care of it yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's very much a collaborative effort. Um, my wife says all the time that relationships are difficult in this industry. If you're married to a winemaker. And, uh, especially if you married into the industry, whereas, so spring and I, we got together and we were married and then I got into the wine industry. So we grew up together in this industry, but wine really becomes your mistress. Uh, (laughs) there was two years in a row where, uh, uh, on her birthday and we had big plans to go out and do stuff. And I called her up. I'm like, so sorry, hun. Today I have to press these grapes. And it's like the wine comes first. And so I don't know. Maybe, maybe that makes wine the wife and the wife the mistress. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but, but it, it, it really is something that it consumes you and, in the industry, once you become fully embedded in it and it is everything that you live and breathe and think about, uh, there is nothing else that you do think about. And it's hard to communicate that to people who aren't in the industry. 
you know, a lot of times you'll see people will assume that you have wonderful nights like this where you sit around drinking wine all night, having some good food, and they think that's your whole job. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it isn't. Well, I'll let no. you keep thinking that. Yes, you no. should be. You should become Spray a wine says maker. No, okay. <laughs> let me delude you. <laughs> Just a little taste. And so, winemakers do tend to hang out with winemakers because it's the only time you can go. Oh my God, we're at this dinner, and I'm hanging out with these billionaires, tech guys, and we're eating foie gras and lobster. And all I wanted to do was go home and have a Jack and Coke and watch some TV and people are like, what do you mean? How can that be? And it's like, that just, you just don't have these, these problems. Who was it? We were sitting and we we're talking with another winemaker who uh, had this wonderful, fabulous story that if it would have came from anybody else, you would have been, there's no way this story happened where they're just sitting around and all of a sudden, they had no idea they're hanging out with, with this huge superstar in, in Vegas and stuff. You, you, you sit there and you talk to anybody else and you're like, oh, yeah, no way were you hanging out with Elton John or whatever. And, and, uh, but that stuff happens all the time in this industry. Hmm. And it's, it's, it's this weird juxtaposed kind of thing. Cause really all we do is we rot grapes and we try to do it with style. You know, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that's a good term for winemaking. Okay, I'm an official grape rotter. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it, it is a fun industry and it creates a great camaraderie uh, between all of us. And it's very, very seldom do you get into until you get to be a big boy, kind of corporate winery size, which which Texas doesn't even really have, even with our, our big guys. You don't have any real competitiveness in between other than just like, Oh yeah, baby, I got, I got me this award. <laughs> My rosé is better than yours, but, but that's really just kind of trash talking. You're always happy. If you see the next guy who next year, he gets that award and you know, so yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, tell us about the house of Drake. Oh, the house of Drake. That, that's going to require a whole nother podcast. <laughs> well, uh, maybe we'll start another podcast of that. Maybe we should. We, yeah, we got to do that. Um, so, so real quick, the house of Drake is a project that we started up in Washington and I had ideas and things I thought that to, to how to treat grapes and uh, achieve some, uh, specific goal. And I couldn't in good conscience do it with other people's money. So we scraped together some, some stuff and we got some grapes and we paid for barrels and, and is really a, a leap of faith kind of thing. And, uh, we made these wines and, uh, we did a minor release in Washington this June of the wines. We have an, it is a long term project. We have an 08, a couple of 09s that are just now getting released. So we did a small release in Washington for the people that were there with us. The, the, was that eight years, seven, eight years that took to, to see this wine through. And then, uh, but we just wanted to bring it down here to Texas to, to share with people down here. And so, uh, we are going to do a release here. Uh, probably another month or so. And, uh, we'll do a small release and it's just going to be pop-up releases. 
There's not going to be any place where you can have a clue what it is I you're saying. Well, I'm just saying how long the process was because it was, a it was more long, than five years. In well, 08, seven. that's seven years. Yeah, Five in barrel and two in yeah, bottle. Yeah, five years in barrel, two years in bottle. And so we're going to do, uh, we're going to have a little winemaker dinner over at High Market um, and release the wines there. And then uh, we'll do occasional little events and stuff to to do it. We, we only have, uh, was about 150 cases total. And that includes four wines, and then we only have about 150 cases left. So it's very small stuff, but it's it's kind of badass stuff. Yeah, sounds uh, good. And like I said, we need to have a whole nother podcast, and we can sit okay. there and, and taste the room. And we, we, each wine has a story. The ultimate so. goal is we started that project before we moved here to Texas, and yep. I think the ultimate goal is to then take that, and we would like to take uh, some of those same varietals or maybe change some of them that are yeah. more Texas specific now that we've spent time here, but still take the idea of that project and do yet another long-term project, but turn the house of Drake project into all Texas wines yeah. and all Texas fruit. And, but still have the ability to take that time to maybe do a five year barrel prod and two year in bottle. Mm-hmm. And so I think we already may have some Carmen year being planted we so. we do we we have we have somebody <laughs> plant us planting us some stuff, which eventually may come to fruition. So uh, and we got some long term goals with with that project, and it'll it'll continue on uh, on here. But it's always going to be a little a little side personal project that has a very personal story with everything that goes with every bottle. So well, hey, it's a fun thing to do. So we're, we're already ready for another podcast. So that's no problem. <laughs> so. Excellent. So uh, anything else you would like to add? Just that uh, I, I'm glad we got to come and hang out and taste yeah, through finally, some stuff. Huh? I know. Finally, <laughs> we got to taste some stuff. We got to have some uh, uh, some good food and uh, some fabulous pictures. I can't wait to get to Houston, have a little Peruvian food. Ooh, oh, okay. yeah. You stuck that uh-huh. one in there, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's <laughs> official now. Yep, it's on record. I've been invited. Uh, <laughs> You make the food, we'll bring the House of Drake wine. Oh, <laughs> that's a deal. Like podcast at your place. There yeah. we go. Okay. Yeah, me next time I'll host the podcast and we'll interview you. Hey. <laughs> sounds good. All right. Well, thanks again, Tim, for uh, chatting with us. Absolutely. And, and that will do it for this episode. So until next time, cheers. 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 Thanks for listening to the Texas Wine Lover Podcast. If you would like to read the show notes and see the photos included in a larger size, check out the blog post at texaswinelover.com. Be sure to check out our archive section on the website for previous podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash TXWineLover. Plus, we are also on Twitter. Please subscribe to the podcast either on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you like the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Join us next time for another episode of the Texas Wine Lover Podcast. Thank you.